1 Corinthians chapter 2, we are in a series about the body of Christ, subtitled Body Life, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 2. Let's start with verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And let's go over, let's go over a couple chapters. I'm sorry, to the next book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And let's look here at... Verse 14. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version, ESV. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that... Those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold... And I'm putting the emphasis on that word, behold, behold, all things, the new has come. The new has come. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your scripture, for the worship, the time of prayer together as a body. Lord, for the moms, the toddlers, the teens, we pray for Daphne as she's at home recovering from uh, just not feeling great. We just ask you, Lord, for your anointing your healing power for her, and just on this body as we preach. Thank you for our guests and each member here in particular. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, excuse me, is dealing with a dysfunctional church. Do you ever deal with dysfunctional people or dysfunctional crowd? Uh, maybe you live in a dis- dysfunctional situation. If the kids are dismissed, maybe you live in a dysfunctional situation. What happened with Daphne's class? Thank you. So, First Corinthians two, Paul here is dealing with a church that has a lot of dysfunction, and this is a church that we know that he planted, and he spent time there pouring into these people in Corinth. And chapter one, he is addressing them as sacred saints. He's calling them saints. He's calling them saints. And when you think of a saint, what do you think of? I think of a white statue uh, kind of gazing off into the distance, never making eye contact with you you as as the beholder and looking off into the distance with these flowing robes that is sinless and has not made any mistakes in their life and that we're supposed to pray to them. I don't even have a Catholic background. That's the way I think. That is just an old programming of the way this world has programmed us to think about saints. But saints are the Corinthians. (laughs) 
in their dysfunction, they are called sacred saints. Paul begins with their position and not their problem. Paul's beginning with their, um, with their uh, power in their place instead of beginning with their dysfunction. And so then he talks about some of the issues. And he's talking about some specific issues, divisions and some craziness, people living with other, uh, in, in, um, uh, in incest and this craziness going on. And then, then he goes to chapter 2 in verse 1. And I think that the, the, the typical pastor or maybe maybe not the typical pastor, but maybe the average person would address this circumstance like this. I've really got to deal with this because my reputation's on the line. Imagine, imagine being the guy who plants that church, right? You're the guy. Everybody's looking at you. You're traveling all over Europe. You're doing these missionary trips. Oh, are you the pastor that started that really crazy church in, in Corinth? We, we heard that there's, there's, some, there's some bad stuff going on there. I don't know. Like, so what are you going to do about that? The pressure's on. What does Paul do? Paul does something really amazing. We're talking about body life. We're talking about community. We're talking about the body of Christ. We're not starting with taking a gifts test. We're not talking about, we're not starting with 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and, and all of the, the awesome verses that often are preached about. But we're talking about some specific things here that are really an enemy of community. We were born communal creatures. We were born for relationship. Without relationship, we really we struggle, don't we? And not just relationship with random groups all over the place, but personal communion. And so Paul here is dealing with a circumstance with the Corinthian church. And what does he say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? He says that I have determined, I'm going to look at that verse with you, 1 Corinthians 2, I have determined that I'm going to not know anything among you except for Christ and him crucified. This is so loaded. I I just can't wait to tell you about this. Um, He said, I'm not coming in the circumstance with a 12-step program, with a how-to, with all these books and workbooks that we're going to fill out in a small group. That's That's good and it's important but I'm going to sit down with you and I'm going to not do this. I'm not going to do a power play here as the apostle. Paul says, I'm coming into the, into the midst of you in weakness and trembling, meaning I'm not marching in here uh, large and in charge and to correct everything, although he could have done that. He walks into their midst in just humility and begins to communicate. He says, I'm not going to come in with lofty speech. Now, why does he say that? Why does he say I'm not going to come in with wisdom, this world's wisdom. Well, he's referring to, one of the things he's referring to is what happened in Athens when he had preached and uh, he was speaking to a crowd that was all about high lofty words, uh, really a more of a pulpiteer than a preacher, uh, more of a man that was about words. And there's something about dealing with a circumstance that is very dysfunctional and that is, that is, that has trouble with just lots of words, right? Just unidirectional communication. Paul here says, I have determined some awesome, very rich words here in the Greek for I have decided. That word decided in the Greek or determined in the King James is a word that means uh, to judge, to judge, Krino. I have judged. This is my judgment about you. I have cast a judgment. I've laid down a sentence. I have made a, 
I have made a conclusion about this. It's like a judge passing down a sentence after he's heard all the evidence and he's heard all the accusations and all the defense he lays down and his word, his word stays. Here's Paul speaking, I have judged. This is how I've judged. Does this sound similar to Matthew chapter 7 about righteous judgment? I have judged. I have judged to know, and this word in the Greek means to perceive something, E-I-D-O, which means this. It means to perceive with the potential to judge. It's to look at something it's to observe something, to discern something, to the point where uh, it's, it's different than other words of to see, because it's a word to see, but it's not a word that I'm going to uh, dive into and get entangled into. So he says, I've, I've decided to perceive not even one thing in you, actually is what the original says, inside of you, around you, except, I think King James uses the word save, and that word save means uh, really just anything that is not in Jesus Christ. And he uses the full name of Christ here. Isn't that interesting? Jesus Christ. He's not just saying Christ or Jesus. He's talking about the humanity of Christ, his incredible humanity, and his anointed status as high priest. Okay, are you following me? Yeah. This is what happens today, is that we know so much about people today, don't we? Thank God to, say, to Facebook. Thank God for 24-7 cable news and 24-7 opinion, which is not news. Uh, 24-7 information. And then we have, then we have just, there's so little privacy. Uh, people are no longer uh, able to hide what's happening in their life. You find out something about something, someone that happened 30 years ago in high school. And that information, and this could happen, the devil traffics information. That was what his business was um, when he fell. Uh, Isaiah, I believe, describes him as a master of trafficking information, buying and selling information. Does it sound like the CIA or the FBI or the mafia? We buy information because information is valuable. We don't want to use it. We don't want to tell anybody that we have it. But later on, when the yellow envelope gets slid across the the table at dinner and you open it up and there's a black and white picture of something going on there, that's information, that's accusation. We know and we hear so much about people that this impacts our ability to live in communion with one another. We begin to live about, we begin to live and we get very educated about people's flesh and what's going on in their life. And Paul here says in, in the second portion that we read, that um, if Christ died, he died for all. And we no longer know Christ after the flesh. So this is the same word flesh, or katasarx, which means in the Greek, according to the flesh. Now, did, is Jesus fallen? Is he in some way have sinful flesh? The answer to that is, of course not. If you're new here, we, we don't teach heresy. Christ is, Christ is not fallen, and he has flesh. What is this flesh referring to? It's referring to his humanity, his flesh and blood, his his. His physical, um, his physical uh, <clears throat> temple. And so here Paul is talking about, he is talking here about the flesh of the Corinthians. That flesh can be, flesh is not necessarily always referring to something bad. It could refer to someone's just, their, their humanity. And we just get so inundated about information about people's humanity. And what's going on, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the ugly stuff. We just get, and it's not necessarily pointing the good and the bad, but just the information <coughs> overload of people's flesh. Are you guys overloaded with information from social media? I am. I, just the stuff I don't want to know out there. So please don't. I do not want to know that. I did not want to see that picture. 
And that's why we have to really limit the threshold of what the eye gate is receiving. We just got to do that because what can happen is, is that the church, you and I, us in this, and it's the thing about small churches is, is that it's very easy to find out stuff about other people. We don't gossip here and we don't talk about people. We never do that. And we don't talk about people's decisions. We just never do that because that would be a lack of just respect. But it's very easy to get to know what's going on in people's lives, you know. And that could be an overload of information about somebody, the way somebody handles their kid. I'm a pastor, brand new dad, and we are living as novice parents in front of this whole body. <laughs> you know? and it's like every Sunday, it's just that this whole body gives us grace with our kiddo. And our kiddo's great. I like him. He's fun to give him grace. He loves grace. We love giving him grace. He eats it up. He eats up a lot of other things, too. And he's just processing all of this stuff in many ways, in and out, if you know what I'm talking about. Let's keep this not graphic as we're broadcasting live. So there's a lot of information you can know. And, you know, if you go to a church and you're looking for, like, you know, sometimes people will look for a church where there's just no drama, like nothing going on. It's like, you know, sinlessness. But they won't say that. But they'll just say, well... We just don't want to be, you know, it's just too much drama or like, you know, I don't know where that, I don't like why that person's from or where he, his background or, you know, what happened with that person or this person. Well, Evergrace is a church where we're about the grace of God. So it's going to be a wide spectrum of individuals here with a wide spectrum of backgrounds. And it's, um, and, and so like when we come into fellowship here, uh, we see the wide spectrum of the body of Christ. Is that awesome? It's just yeah. we see the riches of His grace and His mercy. But what the temptation is is that we can begin to live in the awareness and the perception of somebody's humanity and their goodness or their badness, and allow that to be a stumbling block, a hurdle, or a brick wall for us to fellowship with one another. That is a very real challenge. Believe me, if someone blew up at you before service or or something is not right or or um, I didn't answer all of your text messages and your phone calls before service because I'm racing around trying to get everything done. We begin to see each other's humanity and we begin to see each other's uh, uh, clay feet. And so what does Paul talk about here? Paul is talking here to the Corinthian church that um, he is saying here that I have determined not to know anything among you but Christ and him crucified because if one has died, all... Uh, all are dead. And that's just such a, an amazing truth that we're not going to hit on this morning. But when Paul said this in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, for the love of Christ controls us. I love that verse. Um, it means just what it says there. It is controlling us. It means that I have surrendered over to the will of another. Whenever, whenever we look, and this is so important to theologically understand this, whenever we look at an attribute of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the peace of God, all of these attributes, the holiness of God, the omniscience of God, all of these characteristics that we see about God, we have to remember that that characteristic is married to the person of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the grace of God is what? Jesus Christ, the person of God. If we separate grace from the person, then we will have error eventually. We will be on course a degree off. It'll be very close, but 10 years down the road, we're going to be in a different ocean. Amen. We're going to be off. And so that's why the gospel, but that video that we saw earlier, we need to be very fervent and very um, 
Uh, we need to always understand the clarity of what the gospel is because if we try to mix any level of the flesh in it, then it's no longer the gospel. It's something else. And so Paul is saying here, um, but the love of Christ controls us. Why does it control us? How does it control us? Does it control you all the time? The answer to that is maybe not in your experience. Maybe in your experience, you're not experiencing the love of Christ. I don't love that person. I don't love that person. Um, I don't love everybody. And so this is not what this is saying here. Paul is saying, for the love of Christ controls us, comma, because, all right, this is context, because we have concluded or we have judged this, that one has died for all, therefore all has died. And if he's died for us, those for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And before we say this, that Jesus died for all, now we got to live for others. You know, there's that additional, there's that additional command that we want to bring into this. But what's Paul here saying? He's saying, we have the love of Christ constraining us. You know what the word constrain means? I was reading this in the Greek, and it means some ways that it's used in the New Testament is like this to squeeze the ears together, uh, to put pressure on all points, um, to, to keep together. It sounds like a hug, doesn't it? <laughs> it's just like just being enwrapped with under, under pressure. Paul's saying, I am constrained. And maybe sometime we can preach a message. Uh, I'll let you guys meditate on this and you can preach it to me. But what is, the, what is constrained versus compelled? Compulsion is a drive that is not that is that is not peaceful it's when i am driven because of an insufficiency in my life and i'm trying to oh i'm trying to compensate because i'm not surrendered at the cross constrains means that there's something else that's taken over my life and it's the love of god when the love of god when we perceive the love of god when we perceive the love of god there's something else that controls our life people are going to look at you and say oh you're legalistic man you're just you were just so driven, man. You're just like so, why are you so, like your passion, you're, you're pushy almost. And constrained people that live under the constraint of the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ are going to be misunderstood as legalists, uh, work program oriented people. I love missions. When I say I'm missional, people are going to say, well, you're adding something to the gospel. You're adding something to, I'm not. This is the love of Christ in me that loves Ukrainians, that loves Poles, that loves Houstonians, <laughs> that loves Springites, springins, springins, spring chickens. No, it's a cry. Okay, back to the scripture. Constraining me. It means that you know something. When I wake up in the morning, I'm, I'm this is the way I'm thinking. Do I want to do this? Do I want to do this? Like what? I was praying the other day. God, just you know, sometimes sometimes when we pray, we're we're committed to something and we're praying. God, just show me lightning from heaven or just this amazing sign. Have Michael the archangel come down and blow the trumpet right in my face. So I can figure, so I can get the so I can get this clear. That's not going to happen because the love of Christ is not loud, it's not pushy, it's not large in charge, but it's a still small voice that is so powerful and so gentle that it takes over every room of our soul and changes us and transforms us. Yes. That's what we're talking about. The love of God, the love of Christ, not the love of God, but the love of Christ. What was the love of Christ? What's the same as the love of God? But the love of Christ was this: for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. Right? The contradictions of sinners. Contradictions. You know what a contradiction of sinner is? You're accused for something that they actually are doing themselves. And we're like not pushing back because they're living in that deception. He endured the cross. He 
He, he um, endured the contradiction of sinners. And what was the third thing? He despised the shame. Shame was being projected on Jesus. There was an image of him that wasn't true. The world or, and the flesh and the devil were trying to portray, put something on Jesus that is just not true. And did Jesus feel that? Yes. Have you ever been in a place where your motive, where you feel your motive is clean and good and you are living in, in, uh, in generosity and kindness and then someone just puts this wet blanket on you and accuses you and just and judges you. And you're like, what? <laughs> That's not even my heart. Yeah. Right? Has that happened to you? Yeah. That is called that is called a that is called a projection. When people project things on you that are not true because they are just living in turmoil inside. That happened to Jesus, and Jesus despised that. Despise is a very strong word. He was like, Oh, I don't reject that. I despise that. I am actively pushing back against that. I am dealing with this in a proactive way. He despises shame. Why? Because of the love of Christ. Jesus loved Peter. Can you get, this is what discipleship is about. It's not getting a book and filling in the blanks. You're going to laugh at me. I'm not from Texas, so sometimes things make me laugh a little bit. I'm not laughing at Texas, but just Christianity in general. My wife and I lived overseas in a very godless place doing missionary work, and being in the Bible Belt sometimes is just so interesting for me. The love of Christ is Jesus sitting down with his disciples saying, with great desire I have desired, it says in the Greek. With great passion I have passionately desired to eat this last supper with you. Now that's the Jesus that wants to love you. Isn't that awesome? You wake up in the morning and Jesus is all over you. <laughs> Imagine that. How many of you have a dog in the morning that when you wake up he's on, he's on you? I don't know if you've ever had that. We don't have a dog like that. but uh, Or kids. Are all over you, you know. This is this is God. God is on top of. He is all over you, desiring to have communion with you and I. This is the love of Christ, and the love that was set before Him, the joy that was set before Him, the peace that was set before Him. He endured those things, and so for the love of Christ controls us. It constrains us because why? Because we have concluded that Jesus died for all. That's pretty that's beautiful theology right there isn't it we could just sit there and just theorize about that and just well that's so beautiful to go out the door and then yell at the guy who most who cuts us off on 45 but if jesus has died for all then all have died and he died for all that what is what is this saying that whatever i know about people has already been dealt with what i learned about people what you may learn about people down the road are being crucified. Yeah. Information that troubles you about the people or about yourself or about your spouse or about family members, about your kids, that has been crucified. Paul is talking about making a conclusion because when information comes at us, we have to make a decision. Because if we don't, then it just becomes part. If we are passive about information about people that is troubling or good or bad information, Paul is saying here we need to make a conclusion. And the conclusion is, is that that's paid for. That has been separated. Christ says that Jesus Christ and him crucified. It doesn't say in resurrected, but crucified. The point there in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, is that when Jesus was crucified, our sin was separated from us, and somebody else's sin has been separated from them. Now, does that sound hard? Does that sound challenging? It does. It sounds impossible. Actually, Peter says this. He says, how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother? And I think he was talking about John. Because, yeah. you know, the disciples had some issues with each other, right? You know, they have personality conflicts. 
John's always ingrediating himself on Jesus. And Peter's like, well, I'm, I'm supposed to be the, the cornerstone here, right? I'm the head apostle, and I'm the, I'm the chief here. That's what Jesus said. Here's John leaning, you know, being Jesus' favorite disciple. And so Peter and John had this issue, I think. And Jesus says 70 times 7, that's impossible unless we understand the love of Christ. Forgiveness means, forgiveness can only happen in a realistic way when I understand that their sins have been forgiven. And not only that, but they are sacred. And this is a very important thing before we wrap this message up, is that people that are in Christ are sacred. Okay, Sacred, no matter what's going on in their life. I don't, I don't care if they are just, if they've careened off the road and they are a piling, they're, they're a pile of just burning gar, uh, rubbish on the corner of the road, smoking, like, okay, their life is over. Uh, they, well, they blew it, so they're just reaping the consequences of their mistakes, so there's not much, I mean, I helped them so often, and now they're, now they're just, now they're reaping. Yes, but what does mercy say? Mercy says, for the mercy of God go I, for the grace of God go I, and the love of Christ constrains us. So the measure that I understand the love of Christ to me is the measure that that's going to naturally and supernaturally constrain me to step outside of my comfort zone, which is my right to have, to step out of my zone of predictability and control and go out and minister to people. He that has been forgiven much loves much. Remember that? That's so true. If you've been forgiven a lot, you're going to love a lot. If you've been forgiven little, then you're going to love very little. And that's okay. There's no condemnation. In the kingdom of God, we're not measuring people by how much expression they are showing. We are just celebrating what we can about Christ and how, how Christ is being uh, revealed in their, in, in their life. And so, therefore, once regarded, we, we regard, verse 16, no one according to the flesh. So he's saying here... Is he saying that we're always in that position? No, but that is our baseline, is that the foundation of our fellowship in this church in Evergrace is that I don't know each, I don't know you in the flesh. Meaning, I don't not only know what's happened in your past, but I'm not, my first and foremost uh, point of contact with you is not necessarily maybe something socially funny or, or um, hey, great weather today, or, you know, this is, this is where a lot of times people meet. Our first point of contact is Christ. Is that Christ is powerful in your life and Christ is powerful in my life. Let's talk about Jesus. Yeah. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's, let's make Jesus, let's not say that phrase. Let's talk much about Jesus. Yeah. I like that phrase. Let's talk much, let's make much of Jesus because yeah. he's already much. He is preeminent. We don't need to make Christ great because he's already great. Right. Let's just talk about his greatness. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes... I get the chance to sit down with other Christians and other servants of God in this city that I'm so thankful. I really believe that God's doing some great things in Houston. This is something really ha- is awesome is happening in this city. There's a move of God, and, um, and it's incredible what, what God is doing in the lives of people. But it's easy to sit down with other Christians and other, other servants of God who have been, who have been in, the, in the battle for quite a while. And, and talk about everything but Jesus and just say, you know what, brother, can we just talk about Jesus for a minute? <laughs> we just talk about how much, how great he is, like the peace that he gave me this morning. Can I, t- can I tell you, can we just talk about that? How's Jesus, sitting down with another pastor and saying, you know what, what do you do? How's Jesus encourage you when you're discouraged? Like talking about Jesus Christ, you know, this is what is satisfying. 
Because what, there, what is happening is, is that Christianity is turning into a fast food production line where there is great stimulating information for the soul, but there's no deep spiritual rhema happening. Okay, are, are, are we clear? Are, do you understand? Yeah. So this is, our, this is our desire here in Evergrace with how many, how many few or, or, or many that we have is that our point of contact would be really Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm so blessed. Aaron, you know, Aaron's here. God's just doing some great things in his life. Yeah. That Jesus is great in Aaron's life. Amen. Amen. Like it's awesome. God's given him some great answers to prayer. Um, Eduardo said, when, whenever this church prays, <laughs> I don't know what it is, things happen. Yeah. Things happen. Why is that? Because we are special? No, it's because we are the body of Christ. We are sacred. And this is the point I want to make, is that if I know lots of information about somebody, and it could be just general information, if that's what my focus is, I can perceive it, but if that's where I'm camping out, yeah. you know, about, okay, who's, who's, who's wearing what, or what they're doing, or what can that, that can become a hindrance to me connecting with Jesus in that person. And Remember when Mary and Elizabeth meet? I think this is such a great illustration. Remember when they're both pregnant? Yeah. Mary comes into the presence of Elizabeth. Maybe you've heard this illustration before, but what happens to John and Jesus in the womb? Remember? Somebody say it. Who jumps? John. John jumps, right? John is in Elizabeth's <laughs> belly, right? And Jesus is in Mary's belly, and they meet together. And what happens? John in the belly jumps. What is that? A picture of that's a picture of fellowship, that you and I are pregnant with Christ. Yeah. He is in us. He's being formed in us. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. is growing. And when we're in the presence of each other, there is a jump. There's like, yes. You know what I'm saying? It's a spiritual connection. It's not, it's not like, hey, you know, I like, your new, I like your new car. Although I do like your new car. Or I like your new house. Or, you know, or I don't like your car. Or whatever. That, that's great. But that is, I have a three-second rule. Or maybe not three-second. Thirty-second rule. That when I'm traveling with my, without my wife, my wife knows this. If I'm sitting with someone where you get put in a seat next to another woman and they're talking with you, I always, within 30 seconds, like to either make my ring clear to them or just talk about my wife. You know? And that's the way we could have it in the body of Christ, is that let's talk about Jesus within a few, within a few minutes. Like We can just talk and talk and talk. Sports, I love that. It's great. But just, you know... Here's the problem with loving sports. Is I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of a particular team. It's not in Texas. <laughs> but I don't like to talk about them because they never, you know, they win sometimes, they don't win sometimes, and it's just very emotional, you know? It's very, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I heard uh, A&M played yesterday. I don't know who won. But did they win yesterday? They lost. Baylor, what, right? Alabama. Alabama. So, if, you know, if that's my joy, then, then it's going to be taken. So you can only talk about that for so long until they – you can only talk about A&M until they lose. Yeah. I don't know if you're Longhorns fans in here. I guess you are? Okay. Bold man right there. Okay. Love him up. Okay. Don't, don't crucify him. Knowing, knowing information about people gets old, doesn't it? It just gets old after a while. And that oldness turns into a familiarity. What's familiarity? Familiarity can be good. It also can be bad. Familiarity is like when I just know so much information about them, I can just say, hey, this is what they're going to do. And then I, then, I, then, I, um, uh, then I effectively push God out of the equation because I'm living in a familiar relationship. Familiarity is when I know, I know Wes maybe or I know somebody and I'm just familiar with them. And that can lead to what does familiarity lead to? What does it breed? It breeds... Contempt, contempt. I don't know who said that, but it's so, that's such a wise statement. 
I think Michael Silva said that, right? Okay, yeah. I was always wondering who said that. Familiarity breeds contempt. And when the contempt comes, guess what? I'm tired of just knowing information about you. Let's, you know, let's go do something else. Let's hang out with people, other people. Familiarity always leads to contempt, and that leads to sentimentality. Sentimentality means a lack of compromise. I mean, a compromise, and then a compromise leads to uh, just whatever. Lots of doors are opened up. And that can happen in relationships. We want to judge righteous judgment. That's why we don't talk about people here. Uh, we don't gossip about people because that is just, if we want to ever get God mad, okay, read Proverbs chapter 6, the seven things that God hates. Okay. Oh, yeah, he hates the other stuff, but we, if we really want to incur the unhappiness of God in my life, start talking about his sacred saints that are in trouble, right? Micah 7, verse 8. I think it's Micah 7, 8. He says, Micah, Micah fails. I think this is what the situation is. He's a prophet. He's failing. <clears throat> People are talking about him, or he's condemning himself, and, or he's getting the projection from the enemy of his soul from the atmosphere, and he says, rejoice not my enemy for I shall rise amen? amen and that's our confession is that when we are like spinning out of we're just like spinning like you ever have a my, my boy has a little car one of the wheels came off and it just spins and it doesn't go straight anymore it just kind of goes round and round and around makes a lot of noise when we're in that position spiritually confess to the atmosphere and to yourself and to those around you rejoice not in my failure for I will arise Judge not in Romans 14, verse 4, another man's servant, because he will stand. He will stand. He will stand. And so the point being here is, is that you are sacred. I don't care what's happened to you this morning or what happened to you yesterday, how bad you messed up or how good you're doing. That has all been crucified, and that's not what we're interested in talking about. Like, how long has it been since you did what? Okay. How long has it? Well, we, we, we rejoice in the faithfulness of God, but... What do we want to talk about? We want to talk about the fact that you're sacred. You are holy. And you're like, me? I'm holy? That's impossible. Now, my experiences reflect that. It doesn't matter because your experience is not necessarily truth. Correct? Facts are not truth. Because information can be spun, can it? Information can be manipulated. And that's the thing about technology we have to be careful of is that information can go either this way or this way. It, it, It can get real squirrely. And you can be in a situation where it can be spun. We want to know what truth is. Truth is different than facts. Because the devil will point at facts in your life. You say, that's not truth. What? Paul said, I am not my sin in Romans chapter 7. Is that, Paul, what are you saying? Are you trying to, um, are you trying to be irresponsible about your actions? There's a guy in Ukraine, and I've told this story about, about him before. His name is Volodya. He's just an amazing guy. He... Now, I said his name, and I can't go into details now. <laughs> but he had quite the interesting background. And we were, at a, we were at a little kind of wrap together at a restaurant eating, like we do here sometimes spontaneously. And we're just talking and fellowshipping. I said, hey, Volodya, why don't you tell us your testimony? He goes, he goes, yeah, what? To what testimony? And I go, you know, like how before Christ, you know, this was happening. And he goes, uh, uh, Pastor, I'm not really, can you speak to me more specific? And I said, well, you know, when this was happening, and he was like, I don't remember that. It's, I don't know who you're talking about. That man has been. Is, that man is dead. He died. <laughs> it's great when someone in your own congregation corrects you. Isn't that awesome? You're like, yes, I was just testing you. <laughs> Got it. Okay, let's, let's go. So what happens is that we are sacred, and for us to bring up old trash is just to stuff it in God's face 
Why is this important in community? Because we get to know so much information about people that actually hinders our communion with other people. When we live life together, you know, some people don't want body life because they're just so tired of the drama. They don't want, man, one time in a, a week in church is enough for me and I'm just wasted. Just, with, just, oh my gosh, I can't handle all of this, all this drama. But you know, when we live in spiritual maturity, understanding that Jesus is the issue here, Paul said, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. New point about that, something I never saw before. Did Paul see Jesus in the flesh at one point? Was he one of the disciples walking with Jesus? He did not. What's he referring here to? He is referring to either he's talking to uh, the other apostles, but the, the other apostles are not the audience of this book. He's talking about what we know about Jesus in his earthly ministry, meaning this that we know and we're educated about what Jesus did, but the most, but that is not what we are supposed to be emulating. Let me explain before you start throwing your Bibles at me. Jesus came with a, with a mission from God to, to, be, to become in the likeness of sinful flesh, yet without sin, to pay for sin in the flesh, in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, and rise on the third day. Jesus did not come and say, now you live a sinless life. Or now you go and heal everybody. Or now you do this and this. He did say this to his disciples. But what he's saying here is, is that we don't know. We know that about Jesus. But what do we now know about Jesus Christ? That he is on the right hand of the Father, uh, overcome our sin, far above principalities and powers. And in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2, we are in Christ as his church. Jesus did not come to say, now live a sinless life. Now do this now. Uh, now die on a cross. This was not what he was saying. He was saying, follow me and I will make you everything that you're supposed to be. Matthew chapter 4. The, pro- the pressure is not on you to do. Because we like to do this. Rejoice in the gospel. Rejoice in all this. And then say, now what are you doing for God? And that just is, Jesus says here, you know, the, my answer to that is this. If God wants me to do something, and I was just listening to this worship team up here this morning. God's done that. Not me. <laughs> God put this together, not me. And I'm so glad because if I had to put it together, it would be something much less. And when God wants us to do something, he gives us the will and the desire to do of his good pleasure. And that, pleasure, and that is our Christianity. So we no longer know Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. New here, and this is such a beautiful verse. Let's not get tired of it. He's a new, cre- he's a new creature, actually. The old has passed away. The old passes, the old has passed away, not because it's just kind of gotten old and then just died of old age. It means it's been cut off. There's been a moment in time in your life where it just has been cut off and everything is new. And the new has come. And what is the new? I'm going to finish with this. What is the new that has come? The new is community. The new is the body of Christ. The new is fellowship. The new is knowing one another in Christ, not knowing one another in the flesh. I don't know everything that's happening in people's lives, and that's not important. But I do know that Jesus is mighty in you. I know that Jesus is mighty in every person in this room that has believed on Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. And this is what's important for me. This is what is important for us. We are called to be baptized into the body of Christ. And I want to talk about that next week on a practical way. And I'm not going to be preaching next week now. you got to do this. I need you to sign up for that. I'm not going to do that. Christ has called us. And he has constrained us, and he's put us, put in us the spirit that that executes every 
everything that he's talking about, he has put in our heart the laws and the uh, this new systems of the new economy, and therefore we are in this new community. So listen, practical note, if you come across information about somebody, um, don't know them after that. If someone fails right in front of you, don't know them after that. Forgive, and then, and then push them in, into who they are in Christ. And believe me, God will show you how to do that. I said to someone last night, it's amazing when you have a child or someone in your life and God gives you wisdom for their little soul. Do you ever get that? Maybe it's not even your child. Maybe you're in a blended family, like us in many ways. So God is giving you wisdom about that little soul, and you're speaking wisdom into that soul. You are speaking Christ into that person. You are speaking into that person what God thinks about them and not what the world thinks about them. Amen. This is community, and this is when we enjoy fellowship. This is when we are like, this is when, this is when we sense that we can talk to people about things and we can open up and we can share and we don't have to live with walls and protecting and keeping people at a distance because I'm not maintaining anything. It is Christ in me and not my own ability to try to maintain a community. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for the body of Christ. And Lord, in one way, in one sense, we mourn for those that are not part of a body, that are part of a religious organization that's collecting money and that has great programs but there's no transformation transformation does not happen on the mass level it happens on a small individual one-on-one discipleship face-to-face environment and this is the body of christ jesus said to lazarus come forth he came out of the grave and then he said to those around him Take the grave clothes off of them. Peel off the bandages. The body of Christ is called to remove the bandages, to set people free from those things that are binding them from their past. And Lord, this is what we desire as the body here, ever grace, Lord, to be people that live constrained by the love of God, being hugged and being under the pressure that I, for the grace of God, not because of some uh, insufficiency or guilt or shame or that everybody else is doing it and I'm not doing anything, but just the love of Christ. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're here today. And you see a lot of activity going on in this church. And you don't feel led to do one single thing, but receive. That is perfectly fine. And we would. I just want you to know that nobody is asking anybody to do anything here. Just to be loved by God. Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in that love, and He'll lead you what to do. If you're here this morning and you don't know this wonderful Jesus, you don't know Him. You have never, maybe you have uh, heard about him. Maybe you've gone to church. Maybe you are a person that has for many years uh, considered themselves as a Christian. But you don't know him personally as your personal Savior. Do this today. Just say, Jesus, come into my life. I'm opening the door of my heart. Come in, commune with me, forgive me. Because we are free will volitional creatures. When we say yes to God, he comes in and he begins to do a great work on a personal level. And if you're here today and maybe God is speaking to you about the body, respond to him. Uh, Draw near to the body of Christ and experience Christ on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Interact with him. Do you have a, a relationship conflict? Do you have some awkwardness in a relationship? 
when you talk to that person. Make Jesus great. Speak about him. Lift him up. Uh, make, pre- practice the presence of Christ between you and understand the sacredness of that individual. Pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Let's stand together and sing.